You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. It is a joy to be back here again. I'm going to be preaching today and tomorrow from Galatians chapter 4 on groaning and being perplexed. Today we'll talk about groaning and tomorrow we'll talk about being perplexed. And then on Wednesday we're going to talk about music and why sing from Colossians. So let me read the the text that we're going to be looking at this morning and then um, offer a few comments in our time here together. This is God's Word. Paul, writing to the Galatians, verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. And it's God's word that comes to us out of the midst of a conflict. (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians have conflict (laughs) like other people. And sometimes conflict in the church is the most grievous, isn't it? This is a church conflict here. Paul had brought the gospel to these people. He actually hadn't intended to stop in the region of Galatia and preach the gospel, but an illness came upon him when he was passing through, and so he was waylaid there and preached the gospel, and they became very dear. They talk here about how the gospel had come to them. They would have torn out their eyes and given them to Paul. But now something has happened. After Paul left, some other teachers came in behind Paul and said, you know, that Paul, he was a good guy. He started out teaching you about God's grace, but he didn't really teach you everything. Because what the false teachers were saying was Paul didn't teach you that in order to stay in God's grace, in order to maintain the smile of God, you have to do all of these things. Like you better be circumcised and you better eat only this food and you better do all of these things to prove to God that you really love him. And Paul kind of left that part out. And so Paul hears that this new idea, this new kind of legalism, this false gospel has taken over the church that he had planted, and he hears about it. And as you might imagine, it breaks his heart. I don't know if you could feel that even as I read the text. He talks about being in the pains of childbirth, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. He talks about being perplexed and not knowing what to do which, again, we're going to explore that a little bit more tomorrow. But do you feel, do you feel what's going on here? Now, here's what's fascinating. Paul is a very busy man, a very important man. 
He had all kinds of opportunities to do ministry. And yet, he takes the time, when he hears about what's happened there to the Galatians, he takes the time to write a letter, and he sends the letter not knowing if it's going to work. But what I love about this whole situation is I think it's reasonable to conjecture that we have the letter to the Galatians because it worked. They didn't throw it away. They didn't burn it. Paul says, you've become my enemy. And it would be so much easier. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there was great love, great fondness, great friendship, and then something happens, maybe a misunderstanding, where now the one who loved so well now is your enemy. Isn't it so much easier to just move away? To, to go pursue other relationships that are easier, maybe more life-affirming. But Paul doesn't do that. And this image that he uses here to me, I think is actually a paradigm that will help us actually understand a little bit more about what it means to love one another. Paul says he's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That's a, that's a strong image. Strong image. It's hard enough in our day. It was brutal in Paul's day. I get in trouble sometimes when I, I tell this story, but when we had our first child, my wife um, was footling, or my first son was footling breech, which meant we had to have a C-section. The only problem with the C-section was while she couldn't feel anything, when they pricked her belly, when they cut into her, she could feel it. Now, I don't know why. This was against the hospital's policy, but the doctor was on his way from that hospital to another hospital, so he let me videotape the whole thing, which they weren't really supposed to do. But the fact is that, that what I said is on videotape, so I can't deny it. So when they, uh, when they cut into her and she was like, oh, I can feel that, of course they had to shoot her up in her IV real quick, and they, um, then they pull the baby out. Now, if, if you, you know, probably some of you have had children and you went through these birthing classes, it really kind of freaked me out that we were going to have to, I was going to have to learn how to help my wife breathe. <laughs> I was like, what is coming that I'm going to have to help her even know how to breathe? But yet, when you're the husband and there's a C-section, it actually wasn't really that big a deal for me, right? Like I scrubbed in and I went in and in about five minutes, the baby was out. And as they put him, the, our son next to her, and she's going in and out of consciousness, you can hear me say, and it's on video, well, that wasn't so bad, was it, honey? <laughs> it was not one of my better moments. Now, I, I, every time I tell that story, some anesthesiologist will come and say, well, make sure you tell them that we figured that out. And that, okay. Um, that, that was brutal. In Paul's day, they didn't have that. So it's a really strong image. And it's that image that I think explains why he doesn't back down. You see, he could have written other letters to other people. He could have went into ministry situations where people were still hanging on every word. But he doesn't do that. Because his goal for them is bigger than the false teachers. See, the false teachers just wanted zealous followers. See that? And if you read the letter of the Galatians, you'll understand why. When the Galatians understood the real gospel, 
that God loves sinners, that Jesus died in the place of sinners and lived in the place of sinners and secured the smile of God for all those who put their faith in him, that gospel, that good news, sets you free from worrying about what does God think about me to actually focusing on other people. And you see Paul referencing that. When the gospel first came to you, it changed you. You treated me like I was an angel of God, like I was Jesus himself. But when this false gospel got into your heart, you became touchy and defensive and you no longer would let me speak the truth to you. And of course, this false gospel of thinking that you need to earn God's smile or at least sustain it by what you do always, always will leave us insecure and will cause us to bite and devour one another. That's what it did for the Galatians. Paul says that in other places. And what you need in that kind of situation is you need people. You need zealous followers. But Paul models something very differently. This false gospel produces the kind of insecurity in these teachers where they want zealous followers. But what I want is for Christ to be formed in you. And because of that, I can't back down. I'm going to write you a letter, even though I'm perplexed, I don't even know what to say. But I have to move into this situation because my goal for you is so much more than that you would just be my follower, that you would just like me. You see, I think there are two reasons why we don't groan for people like we should. The first is we value comfort more than we value God's kingdom, which is to say our goal is too small. The other is we want people's approval more than we long for Christ to be formed in them, which is to say that our love is often too weak, and so we're content with followers and bigger numbers. And here's the problem. If you're seeking worshipers and followers, you can never confront people. But if you're seeking for Christ to be formed in people, you must confront. But the real question is, how will you be free to do this? Because I think this text teaches us that we don't really love people unless we're groaning for Christ to be formed in them. And yet, where do you find that? Where, how can you move beyond our own fear, our own desire for followers and to be approved? And here's the key, I think. It's only when you hear the one who's groaning for you. See, what's fascinating about this passage, this image of groaning in the pains of childbirth, Paul isn't the first one to speak this way in the Bible. God himself actually speaks this way in Isaiah 42, verse 14. He says this, For a long time I've kept silent, I've been quiet and held myself back, but now like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. Did you know that? God refers to himself as a pregnant woman crying out in the pains of childbirth. And why? Well, as this season always reminds us, because all is not right. All is not right. You see, what, what you find in this passage, the suffering that Paul is going through is to a large extent self-induced. He could have moved away. He could have turned away and said, enough of those people, they don't really like me anymore. I'm going to move on to people that do like me and surround myself with people that are my fans. But he can't do that. He can't do that because he's groaning for Christ to be formed in them. And I think the reason is because God is groaning for Christ to be formed in them. Now, God is still groaning. That's what's really remarkable. 
Christ endured the agony of the cross and never backed down because God is still groaning for all things to be made right. Paul himself heard Jesus say, after Jesus' resurrection, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus testifies that he's still being persecuted after the resurrection. And of course, Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is groaning. I think it's important that we understand that God is still growing. Now, of course, the amazing thing is God can end his own groaning, either by wiping us off the planet or by making us perfect in an instant, yet he doesn't do it. Why? Well, I don't know. But then I could never worship a God that I had all figured out. I don't know about you. But when we think about this passage, we think about this last image I'll close with. Pregnancy. Knowing you're headed for an excruciating pain has got to just be a surreal experience. When you're in the throes of labor pains, all that matters is that it ends, and it ends soon. But here's the truth today. The whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are groaning until Christ is formed in you. Do you hear it? Do you groan for others? Do you groan for yourself even to want to groan for others rather than just tolerate them? We won't groan for ourselves or for others until we hear God groaning for us. You know, the church is not a hospital. It's a maternity ward. And everybody is groaning in labor. God's call today is for us to open our ears And let's pray that God would open our ears to hear his groaning and that we would begin to groan for the things that God is groaning for. Last thing I'll leave you with. If seeing the smile of God with the eyes of faith brings joy and peace, and it does, then what will hearing the groaning of God with the ears of faith bring? I pray it will engage us in his mission and make his concerns our concerns. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you're groaning, that you don't look at the brokenness of this world and wash your hands of it. Lord, we don't understand why you, why you still put up with us, but Lord, we thank you that you are committed to making all things right and groaning until that day comes. Help us to groan with you and not at you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.